0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado.
0: Welcome in to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Chris Trepanzo of CBSSports.com joined today by my regular guest Matthew Collar. This is a very important episode to me one that is going to lay the framework for a lot of what we talk about here on The Prospect over the next couple of months leading into the 2021 NFL Draft. It is an episode dedicated completely to everything surrounding my grading system. This is going to be the third draft class that I've used this grading system And it's the backbone behind my position rankings, certainly my big board. And really, I think that having this formula built into this grading system that after watching film, after factoring in what we see at the combine in terms of combine workouts from all these prospects, it spits out a number and it shoots it into position rankings and the big board. It's why a lot of those position rankings and big board rankings for me are a lot different than a lot of other draft analysts out there. And maybe because I do a lot of this earlier before there's pre-draft buzz during January, February, Uh, but we'll get into the specifics of it in this podcast so I can be as transparent as possible and you know why I have someone graded higher than the masses or graded lower than the masses. So this should be a fun episode and one that you can revert back to to look at as
1: a reference or listen to as a reference over the next few months. And, of course, like the old scout in Moneyball, I just judge whether the player's girlfriend is good-looking. That's really yeah, how that's I do it because usually uh, most athletes, you know, they struggle to get girlfriends. So uh, <laughs> that's that's how I tend to study it. No, actually, Chris, um, in, in my experience covering the NFL, um, I have found that teams have – these exact same types of things, and scouts do these exact types of things. I used to work even in minor league baseball, and there was a system for grading each tool that, in fact, that anybody who's a baseball nerd probably knows this, that there's a 20 to 80 system that's sort of recognized between all scouts in baseball, where if someone has the best arm in the league, it's an 80, or if it's a the, the most power, it's an 80, and, and that's kind of based on standard deviations and a whole bunch of other stuff but um in football there isn't a like widely recognized system so every team has their own kind of thing but, um, I think that they mostly try to streamline it with their scouts to have a similar system like you to be able to come up with numbers down to the decimal points, take all the scouting, take all the analytics, and add it up to a number, and then use it as a tiebreaker when it comes to well we we want to draft this guy, but we also like this guy, but this guy's number's a little higher, so let's take him um that's mm-hmm. That's how it's working in the. I don't want to say the real NFL, but, like, that's how teams are doing it as well, the, the same way that you are. Yeah,
0: and really what's funny about what you just said is that I didn't know that that's how teams did it. I assumed when they are talking about grades during the draft and then in those post-draft press conferences, we had a higher grade on this guy than that guy, that that's not really why I did it. Um, and j- just to kind of give the origin story now, um, my first year at CBS Sports was the 2018 draft class, so fall 2017. The quarterbacks was really every all everyone wanted to talk about initially, but that draft class had Derwin James, Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, Roquan Smith, and Saquon Barkley. And in 2018, for that draft class, I did not have a grading system. I was watching the film, going over the scouting combine figures, and it was kind of all by feel. It was just like... Here's where I think this quarterback is. I'm not so high on uh, this guard, whatever. But Saquon Barkley finished as my number six overall player. And if you go back and look at a lot of other analysts, or at least a few, like some people had Saquon Barkley number one overall as like the best prospect in that class. And for as much as I was enamored by the abilities of Saquon Barkley, even having him number six overall felt too high. Because even at that point, we most of us understood that you shouldn't pick a running back inside the top ten. There was really even a push for you shouldn't even pick one in the first round. It's kind of where we are today. Uh, so after like that player, that transcendent generational running back, was the guy that just going into that 2018 college football season – In the 2019 draft class, I said, I need to figure out where a running back really should be. Because based on talent alone, yeah, Saquon Barkley was maybe the most talented player in terms of his athleticism, blah, blah, blah. But number six overall, or even in the top 10, like for a running back. So I wanted to have and create a formula that based on film and based on combine workouts would spit out a number. So I could kind of have my hands off and say, Hey, look like, yes, these grades are based on my observations, but everything put together into this formula, I think like the trendy term to say today is a computer model. I'm not going <laughs> <I'm, laughs> to, yeah, yeah, I'm not a, yeah, I, I'm not a data scientist, but that I would spit it that I would put it into there and it would spit out a number and I have found that since then, 2019 draft class and the 2020 draft class, running backs aren't really high. They, they, they don't end up number six overall, even if they are someone even as close to as talented as Saquon Barkley. So I've felt a lot better about my evaluations as a whole, like evaluating an entire class after creating this formula that's part of my grading system.
1: So maybe in order to explain how you put together the system, we can use some players that have worked out or not worked out. Um, you sent me some of your The System. I feel honored to have seen The Notebook with all the data in it, Chris, uh, looking behind the curtain and seeing all the numbers here. But um, I, I just I was looking at what you sent me, and, and it stuck out like Josh Jacobs and his uh, – report, because Josh Jacobs, I think, has worked out and has become a good player. I mean, he isn't a a transcendent all-time great talent or anything like that, but he's one of the best running backs in in the NFL, and so basically the way that you lay it out is you take a bunch of different very key skills to running backs, and then you take a bunch of notes on it, and then you provide your grades. I assume it's 1 to 10, uh, since he ends up with an 8.4, but... Why don't you go through like those skill sets with Josh Jacobs specifically to kind of explain how this works? Yeah, using the running back position is a really
0: straightforward spot that I think everyone can kind of relate to and and like really understand. Uh, What I do is there's like every position has five categories, like you said, either a skill, a trait um, that I believe are the most important to being a successful player at that position. So for running backs, I have elusiveness, contact balance, vision, speed, and size. And I listed those in order, to me, of importance. So beyond just having five categories and saying, all right, what's the average of those, they're weighted. And the first category, elusiveness, in the formula uh, that I created for this ends up being three times more important as the last category, which is size. So for a running back, to me, Size doesn't really matter. They're all between about two or three inches of each other and 10 to 30 pounds of each other anyway. So I didn't want someone with, to me, what is good size, and really I think smaller is almost better at the running back position today. I didn't want that outweighing or having the same weight as speed or elusiveness or contact balance. So for Josh Jacobs, he was my fifth running back in that 2019 draft class behind Devin Singletary. David Montgomery, Justice Hill, and Miles Sanders. And just looking at what dragged him down, I didn't think he was particularly fast. He only had a 7.75 grade in his speed. Elusiveness, 8.75. That was the same as David Montgomery's and Miles Sanders just behind Devin Singletary's. I didn't think his contact balance was that great. That's the second most vital trait, in my opinion, for running backs. So that so those two probably contact balance and speed dragged him down a little bit, um, but he was still the fifth best running back, and partially because he had a very high grade in the most heavily weighted category of elusiveness for the running back spot.
1: Okay, so how do you get? the 8.75 with elusiveness, right? Like, so that's a number and it's good and it's what you want. Of course, if I was taking the Madden sliders, I'd slide it up on elusiveness because that's going to help you. Uh, And clearly – you know, not being able to be brought down in the backfield, being able to break open field tackles and things like that. Like those are all things that um, all of us would look for in running backs. And then just in, in general, I mean, if you're one-on-one with a guy in space, you should win that battle in college 100 times out of 100, yeah. and in the NFL a lot of times. Um, and you think about the best of the best, Elvin Kamara, Delvin Cook. A lot of these guys, when it comes to the elusiveness, a lot of them can get really low when they make their cut and can cover a lot of ground when they make their cuts and do it lightning fast. So I, I wonder how you sort of watch it and then translate it into a number.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's where there is some fault and there's some subjectivity to it because it obviously is coming from my observations. And I have it in our rundown here like to go over why the system isn't perfect and it's okay to admit that. That would be the reason. Like if we could have some robot watch the film and tell us, you know, the difference in elusiveness of all the players, then that would be great. But this is where like I would land on 8.75 watching Alabama, Josh Jacobs. You might watch him and give him a higher grade or a lower grade. And really what I've done, I don't know if this is perfect yet. And, and really having this grading system in place, I love that I have it, but it's a constant evolution. It's probably never going to be like a completed done project. Um, that a lot of times I would go back to the previous class and say, okay, I had – I'm trying to think of a back from the 2018 class. I would have, say, someone from the 2017 class, Alvin Kamara or Kareem Hunt, I would have their elusiveness maybe in the nines. And I would say, okay, Josh Jacobs to me. So I would start off watching some of the top players at the same position and get a baseline and say, all right, Devin Singletary is super elusive. After I would have three, four, five players – um, in a specific draft class that I kind of used the previous year's class to get a baseline, then I can – it's kind of easy to watch the film and say, oh, Josh Jacobs isn't quite as elusive in a small space as Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary gets a nine. Josh Jacobs gets an 8.75. Like, that's kind of how it works. And then once I'm deep into a position, it's pretty easy to say, oh, his pass rushing moves aren't as good as Nick Bosa, so they need to be a little lower. Um, So, yes, there's certainly subjectivity to it, of course, but that's kind of how I start and then through the process and in January,
1: February, when I'm finalizing a grade for each category, for each position, that's how I do it. That's interesting. Uh, I remember talking to some baseball scouts um, about how they would, the, the major league teams would take their low A scouts and they would fly them into say New York to watch Derek Jeter take batting practice and to watch Derek Jeter for the night and to write it up to write up major league players just to compare them like this is the pinnacle of what this is supposed to look like so everything that you grade if you're grading a hitting tool Derek Jeter is an eight out of eight hitting tool so don't grade any minor leaguers You know, a perfect hitting tool unless they're as good as that guy. And like, these are the things that you should be looking for. And I I think that that's the right way to go. That, of course, established NFL players, guys who are superstar running backs and then saying, oh, this guy from Alabama, um, he's not going to be as good as Christian McCaffrey is in his fourth year in the NFL. But what's the skill set and what worked out and and what does that player do well that ended up translating that you should also be looking for when you're looking for these college players?
0: Yeah, that's the perfect way to really break it down, I think, and and to kind of to start off to grade someone who's really good and say, this is kind of what we're striving to find in this draft process. Another point that's kind of related to this, I always watch one position at a time, like, I'm still working on the edge rusher class right now for the 2021 draft class <clears throat> because I don't want to watch three or four players, then watch corners, then come back. And then I kind of had lost sight of how explosive someone was like a Gregory Rousseau or a Quitty Pay. So when you're in there and you're watching like your 15th edge rusher, you have a good idea of what this class is providing to you and who's more explosive who has better handwork, who's stronger, who sets a stronger edge. Um, So I think that's like kind of a subtle, but to me really important aspect is watching a position like in a chunk, like 15, 20 guys at once. Through the process, you find someone like a James Robinson from Illinois State and you watch him last uh, or, or, you know, in April when you get the film. But watching the positions
1: all at once I think is really important too. So let me ask you about quarterbacks in this because um, there are 100 categories I feel like that you could have for quarterbacks, and I think that a lot of different people would have a lot of different um, different categories that they would try to grade. I'll tell you what I think is most important, and we'll see if this kind of matches up because you, you sent me running backs, but I don't have your, your super secret quarterback uh, grading. So uh, I would say that I would start out – with do you have I mean just arm strength first because even though arm strength is not perfectly correlated to success if you don't throw with good arm strength you're just screwed like it's just not gonna happen (laughs) for you like uh, you can use Drew Brees all you want but you you don't have his mega brain okay so like if you can't reach a certain threshold so we got to start there can you throw the ball hard enough Can you get it out quick enough and with enough velocity to make throws outside the numbers and things like that that you're going to have to make in the NFL? And then, of course, accuracy, because I've played so much Madden that throw power and throw accuracy have to be in the top. But then Mm -hmm. I would probably have, after that, athleticism in today's game now. I think that that's very much key. And processing is really hard to put a grade on, but you have to try. Um, because sometimes they're over in the sideline holding up a picture of SpongeBob, and that's like their play call. So how do you know if a guy's going to be able to process, you know, West Coast offense play calls in the NFL or defenses in the NFL when you're playing the Big 12 and then going to all of a sudden playing against Mike Zimmer or something? It's a huge, huge difference. But you got to try. You can't ignore that part. If someone's messing up their reads all the time, um, then you got to factor that in. And then this is a hard one, but I would try to – throw in something about like the intangible element. And I know putting a number on an intangible is ironic, but I think that that matters. Like one thing with Jalen Hurts, for example, that I liked was that he lost his job in Alabama in kind of embarrassing fashion in front of the entire nation. And all he did was bounce back at the next place and take his next team to the final four. And I thought that that said a lot about his, his character and a lot of that is guesswork. Um, But I think it matters, and it probably matters as much as any other skill in the NFL is do you have – do you have the guts for it? Um, Do you have the drive for it because it's the hardest position in the world? So you tell me how those match up with yours.
0: Well, there's a lot of talking points off that because you made a lot of good points there, and and they can all – it can segue in like 20 different directions pertaining to my grading system. I do agree with you that I think most scouts and GMs, like, say, does the guy have an NFL arm first? And I, I'm kind of leaning in that direction to kind of change how I view the quarterback position and how it's used in my grading system. I've had it up until this draft class with accuracy first because it always kind of seemed like if if these quarterbacks, and we talked about it on a previous podcast, that will the Patrick Mahomes and the Josh Allen types that – Weren't super accurate, but had these howitzers for arms change what we want as a top priority for a quarterback? Twenty, even 2018, and and that was, I mean, we hadn't really seen Patrick Mahomes yet, but pre that, everyone was trying to be Drew Brees, Tom Brady, uh, even Philip Rivers. These very accurate quarterbacks that were cerebral. So that's what I was looking for then. Uh, but so I have accuracy first, but to the point that i was making about changing i am completely open to moving around the weights of categories every year like to jump to another position quickly wide receiver in 2018 i had ball skills as the most important element and i've i've said it on previous shows that i was just a fan of those big des bryant brandon marshall jordy nelson type receivers that they were always making contested catches, which said one thing that they weren't open very often, but two, they were just like rebounders in basketball that can make ridiculous catches in the red zone back shoulder last or in the 2019 draft season, I switched it and said separation ability is the most important. Like I had to move that. So that's what I said before that this grading system is not concrete. It will never be set in stone. And To be frank, right now, I don't have my hammered-down quarterback categories set because you're right that scrambling has gotten way more important. Improvisation, athleticism, that if you were asking the best GM or the best scout in the league in 2014, 2015, 2016, they would say, I want pocket presence, I want accuracy, I want, like you said, taking that SpongeBob play and knowing what to do If it's not cover three, if it's actually cover four, or it's a blitz, um, those were all the elements that we wanted to see from quarterbacks. And now it's arm strength, improvisation, and really any show you watch, any podcast you listen to, people will say that now, and that's true. So I still need to move around, like I'm going to grade the quarterbacks, and I've already put some preliminary grades on some of the top players, we talked about that in our first episode, but... I can move around these categories and say, hey, scrambling is now the second most important, maybe, and arm strength's the first. Accuracy is the third most important. If you have a couple wayward throws, it's fine. And then let's see what the formula spits out in terms of grades. And again, I think that's why I have rankings positionally or just a big board that look different. Because I believe that it's not like you and I could watch film and we would see things differently. We just proved it. We just value things differently. It's like When you watch Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, you would see all these ridiculous throws, but how much does the throw across his body bother you compared to someone else? So that's what I've realized, why it's not perfect and why I really think that it's wrong when people say, oh, everyone sees things differently when they're watching film. I don't think it's that different. It's do you view accuracy, like I would, more than arm strength, like you said, or do you really not want a scrambling quarterback? Do you want a poised pocket presence guy like a Tuatunga-Vailoa, or do you want someone like Justin Herbert that can make plays off script? So it's kind of a fun way to just continue to evolve at every position as the league changes year in and year out.
1: Yeah, I think on the arm strength point, um, one would be if you don't meet a certain threshold you just can't pass go like you end up being Mm -hmm. Danny Warfel or something for people who grew up in the 90s watching Danny Warfel dominate at Florida and then not be able to play in the NFL like if you can't Tim Tebow if you can't throw the ball in a certain way you are just never going to be a good NFL quarterback or a great NFL quarterback David Fales was one for me yeah yeah and, and you know what people fall in love with quarterbacks who come from you know this smaller university or that small university and are like oh wow look at him throw it all around he's got anticipation he's got accuracy but the corners are so fast the linebackers are so fast the safeties close so quickly that if you can't hit tight windows down the field you're just never going to be a great player and then i look for well what's so if you pass go, then what's your elite tool that could get you into that category? I think we talked about this a little bit with what Kyle Shanahan said, but yep. do you have like Tua, I think has amazing anticipation. I think he's got guts to, you know, I think he's got like you said great pocket presence and he moves his feet really well. Like that's his top thing. You know, and uh, you know, someone like Jalen Hurst, his top thing might be the fact that he can run for 100 yards at any at any point, and and that matters too. How are you going to win? Who can play to your strengths? And do you have strengths like Lamar Jackson? Nobody watched Lamar Jackson throw outside the numbers in college and thought, yeah, there's the next Dan Marino. Like <laughs> he, just, <Exactly. laughs> he, he couldn't do it at all in college, and he hasn't really done it all in the NFL. But he's one of the greatest athletes to ever play the position. So I think that sometimes the NFL will get too caught in the weeds and not focus enough on what a guy can do, and they'll focus more on what a guy can't do. Oh, well, he can't throw outside the numbers. Well, don't throw outside the numbers then. Run read option with the guy. Like, you, you are the one, the team that's getting him with the scheme. But if you can't throw it, then you're just not, not going to get there. If you can't throw it hard enough. Because there are certain things that you have to execute that if you don't, you just simply cannot play here. Yeah, I was actually just looking at my uh, 2021 scouting notebook
0: grading system, whatever you want to call it. And I was like staring at the quarterback page for a while. And I have accuracy, pocket management, field reading, you could call that processing, arm strength, uh, and then scrambling. And I realized that those five, those last two categories that used to be the, the two that I didn't think were super as important as accuracy and pocket management, I was like arm strength and scrambling like need to be higher, like much higher. That it is kind of difficult to, to – quantify processing or how well they read the field, even if you have all 22 film. But I don't think a lot of these quarterbacks, maybe even like Josh Allen is this insane, like genius processor, but he just has the arm Mm -hmm. and the athleticism that can, you know, he can get away with being a a split second too late, or maybe even misreading a coverage, but still fitting the football through a tight window. So that's the one position I'll say, you know, on this podcast early in draft season that I don't have settled yet, but I've, really liked the fact that I was like, Hey, there's nothing that's, I mean, this is my system. There's nothing that says that I can't change ball skills down to number two for a receiver and move separation ability as the most important element. And it's a fun thing to do during the draft season to kind of move them back and forth and see like, Oh, if I had uh, ball skill, still number one, here are the top five but I swing, but I change it to separation ability or yards after the catch. And then that's how I get my true top five, because you could see that if someone loves ball skills, they love the rebounders, they're going to gravitate toward the bigger wideouts in this class, but the smaller, quicker guys are the ones that are really winning in the NFL. So it's all about knowing what's happening and what's winning in the NFL today. And then to me, I think what's the most difficult is projecting forward and seeing what's going to be the next trend. So you, you, can be ahead, and I I famously loved Mason Rudolph. He was my number one quarterback in the 2018 class. He was the old-school guy. He was no arm, full field reads, great downfield accuracy, couldn't move and had no arm. So, like, he looked like he could be like a Philip Rivers type, but he missed those two vital elements of the next wave, the Patrick Mahomes, the Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, all those quarterbacks, he missed that. And that's why I missed on Mason Rudolph, because I was not ahead of the curve. I was still thinking kind of at the classic prototype for the quarterback spot.
1: So how do you weigh in what you know in terms of the intangibles? Because um, having – At a front row seat for success stories and busts, Um, I I think that the intangibles are what usually makes it. I mean, of course, if you don't have uh, a certain skill set, it's going to be hard to succeed in the NFL. All the first round players have a skill that makes them good enough to play in the NFL. Like mm-hmm. one thing that is absolutely proven is that NFL scouts know what they're doing. They don't get it right all the time and teams don't pick the right players all the time, but they pick out the group of players who should be the 60 best human beings. And it's proven over time that your first round picks are worth more than your second round picks and worth more than your third. If they were stupid and they were getting it wrong all the time, seventh round picks would hit as much as first round picks. But that doesn't happen. So um, I think that what makes the difference is how much someone cares. Can they catch up to uh, the requirements mentally? Um, Can they handle the emotional nature of the NFL? I mean, it is a harsh and difficult and tough league mentally for these guys. Even Justin Jefferson said the other day, like, it's a long season, guys. Did you know that? Like, yeah, that's, that's how it is. 16, uh, 16 games, 17 weeks, brother. It's, it is a long grind and there's a lot that goes into it. And I've seen players before this, that just straight up don't have the guts for this, that they, they get in, they get drafted. It's the greatest day of their life. They celebrate with their families. They get into training camp and go, I'm not up for this. This is, this is too violent. This is too fast. This is too difficult. This is too much work. And I don't know that there's an easy way. I asked Mike Zimmer once if there's a way to figure that out in you know, when you're watching film or when you're interviewing guys. He said no, which I think is very aware of, of Mike Zimmer. I, I tend to think that there are some indicators you can pick up on from what you hear from guys in their interviews and things like that, but it's it it is the most imperfect trying to figure out maybe the most important thing.
0: Yeah, well, first off, I think what you were referencing about talking to players and they say, wow, this is way more difficult than college The season, we always hear about that rookie wall. That's like after 10 or 11 games where that's kind of the max, maybe 13 games for some of these higher profile programs. Once players get there, their body is just done. They're mentally checked out. So I think that is a important element or component to kind of factor in, but I'll side with... Mike Zimmer, that if a head coach that's been around forever like, is admitting to a media member that he doesn't know how to do it, I don't really factor it in. And, and that's one of the other points that I have here in the rundown. Like, why is it not perfect? Beyond just their subjectivity to it, I don't factor in intangibles. And the one that's, which we don't have to get into, this is like evaluating an entire draft class and setting up a big board or position rankings is just the class as a whole it's not team specific if I was working for a team the coach would say okay we need this type of edge rusher so let's like skew our grading system or our big board to that type of player and maybe we need some size at receiver so we're going to kind of weed out the Marquise Brown types so when you look at it and I'm done with a in April with my big board I'm like okay this is just like how I grade the entire class not contingent upon like if DK Metcalf didn't land with the Seattle Seahawks, I don't think he would be that type of player. I think he would still have been good, but to land with one of the best, if not the best deep ball thrower in the NFL in Russell Wilson, I think that was a really good fit for him Um, on a team that just had Tyler Lockett and really needed a, a number one wide receiver. So you can't account for that. And, we're different in the type of media members that we are. Like I'm watching the film. I'm doing the grades. You're talking to players. You can say, man, this Justin Jefferson, like you mentioned in a previous podcast, he wants to be LeBron James of the NFL. Like that probably factored into him hitting the ground running in the NFL. I'm just going to miss on that. Like uh, until my job gets broadened where I'm talking to the players, um, I'm never going to be someone that's like listening to an anonymous source or a report that comes out during the middle of draft season, but I'm aware of it. Like Mike Zimmer is, but I understand that it it would just be almost impossible for me to go through 300 players and go, that guy really likes it. He, He, yeah, he likes his or his teammates like him. He's a really, he's a gamer. He'll he'll fight for that extra yard because of his teammates. It's just a really hard thing for me to do, and I know that that's a blind spot in this process and why it's not perfect. And one last point to this, I remember reading a really good profile on Bills GM Brandon Bean, and I always wonder, and I wonder your thoughts on this the profile was during the college football season that he was going on all these college visits. And I'm like, with all 22 on your laptop, on your tablet, like why are these GMs and scouting department guys like traveling to LSU, Florida, where you see a play, you don't get a replay. And almost the whole thing was about him watching the players once they go to the sideline and like how they interact with their teammates. Are they standing by themselves? Are they going up to the coordinator and saying, what can I do differently? And then, obviously meeting with coaches after and kind of getting to know the character of that specific player or the players that they're looking at that was like the crux of the whole article not like oh I watched whoever I watched um Stefan Diggs at Maryland and he was a great route runner like that's not what it was about it was all that extra stuff so I think like you were saying scouts in general and GMs do a great job evaluating but these trips where they're gone every weekend and they're not watching NFL games, they're watching college games, it's to try to dig into those intangibles because that can turn someone like Justin Jefferson from a solid player into a superstar, and I think that's a big factor uh, you know, early on in these players'
1: careers. Yeah, I asked the basketball general manager once just, like, what, how do you do it? Like, what's your process when you show up at a gym and you're watching a player, a college player that you might draft? And uh, they said, I watch every single second. Every single second. I watch how they interact with their teammates. I watch them on the sideline. I watch them between timeouts. I watch every single thing that they're doing. And, you know, I think that there is a lot of value in that, that you can pick up on a lot of different things. And and I'll give you a small thing on Patrick Mahomes. And this – Look, it worked out. I liked Patrick Mahomes um, coming out of the draft. I also like Josh Rosen, so I get them wrong as much as anybody else. But I used to obsess over John Gruden's quarterback camps, and I would watch them those are like, awesome. I all love the way those. through. There's a very small thing in Patrick Mahomes that I absolutely loved that they showed, like, small talk between Gruden and Mahomes. And Mahomes was talking to Gruden about the flight and, like, how the flight was uh, it had uh, chairs that could rest way back or something or whatever. And they were just so comfortable. This is somebody who is a scared college kid coming in and just talking to an NFL Super Bowl-winning head coach who is as intimidating as anybody. And you see in those videos how intimidated some of those quarterbacks are and here's Patrick Mahomes just making small talk with him, just relating to him. And I think it's a really important skill as a quarterback to be able to just connect with people instantly. And I think that's been one of Patrick Mahomes' huge, huge parts of his success is how I'm well good. he instantly connects to his teammates. So I thought, man, that's that's a, that's not a deal breaker, of course, if he couldn't throw the ball. And like, great, you're yeah. a great guy. You can work at PR. Um, but to me, it's like I think I think that that's a thing. I think that there's something there. So, anyway, just – um. I wanted to get another question into you. Uh, if you had a response to that, go ahead. But I wanted to ask you about a little bit more about the system. So uh, after you respond to that.
0: No, I, I just wanted to bring up one more point. Um, Cause we don't want this podcast to go for like three and a half hours, uh, <laughs> which maybe you were going to ask me that. So I'll just say it. The one other important element and everything you just said about those intangibles and picking up on little things, confidence in the quarterback, swagger for a receiver. Uh, I think matter for sure. I I just, I guess at this point I've not gotten to a point where I figured out how to quantify that and put it into the system. Um, And again, if I had more of a job that's like what you do, where you're talking to to players a lot more frequently, that could be something like an avenue that could open up. Um, But one last thing about the grading system. I started off by saying this started with the thought of why is Saquon Barkley number six overall? Like he, he shouldn't be that high. Like I loved him, but I was like, it's too high. I do have, when I, made this grading system something I call position addition. So say, like we were talking about Josh Jacobs, his grade was 8.4. Running backs get no position addition. So like Josh Jacobs' final grade was 8.4. For example, uh, let's say in the 2019 draft class, so Daniel Jones I wasn't super high on, say his grade was 8.4 as well. I would not have had, and I didn't have, Josh Jacobs and Daniel Jones like next to each other. I'm pretty sure I didn't. Because in position addition, it's quarterbacks get the biggest boost. They get a 0.3 boost. Um, And it is a 1 to 10 scale, but it's basically like a 5 to 10 scale. Like I'm not grading anyone like as a 2. Like you're not an NFL player if you have a 2 in any category. Um, So, and I go down, and this is, again, where it's subjective and it's not perfect because we don't know specific uh, weights of how valuable every spot is. We all have our own ideas of it. Like, quarterback gets the biggest position addition, uh, offensive tackle, wide receiver, edge rusher, and then it works its way down, corners. And it's not just how valuable, it's the supply and the demand. We talked about that on a previous podcast, that, like, yeah, receiver's super-duper important, but there's also, like, 15 good receivers Mm, in every draft class. So I, I do have quarterbacks, offensive tackles, edge rushers as the second most valuable. And then it's almost like mirroring positions, like receiver, cornerback have the same value, like linebacker, tight end, same value, safeties further down the list. I think safeties are important, um, but I'm, but I'm not going to give them a big position addition because I don't think they're involved in so many plays throughout the course of a game or the course of a season. So that's been something where, and it happens every year now, and I know it's going to happen in March and April, I'll have like the number one running back. Like I'll have Travis Etienne like in like the middle of the second round and people are like, why is he there? He's a top 20 pick. (laughs) Great. I don't care if he goes there valuing in terms of looking at these players from a team building perspective. I'm just not going to want to pick Travis Etienne ahead of an offensive tackle that I might sign to a second contract. And he's my left tackle for eight years when Travis Etienne is going to only be on our team for about five years or four years at most. So position addition, I think to me, I was really happy that I built that in too. And it's why I have quarterbacks pushed up and running backs kind of pushed down. And then a lot of the other more valuable positions near the top of my position rankings and big board as well.
1: The last thing I was going to ask is just when it comes to positions that are similar, but different um, nose, tackle, defensive tackle, three technique, uh, nickel corner, outside corner, how do you look at those things differently? Do these guys go in their own categories? Do they kind of um, just have their skill sets sort of show up in your system? Because I, I mean, I think that I think they're very different positions—a slot corner versus an outside corner—but then a lot of guys need to play both in the NFL, so I, I think that that could be a little tough. Yeah, that's a great question, and
0: I can answer this quickly. That I also, when I was telling you that I was staring at the quarterback uh, page the other night was also looking at the cornerback page and thinking that I do need to just break that off into another position because nickel corner and outside corner, like you said, are completely different spots. I don't think I'm going to do it with, like, nose tackle, defensive tackle just because I think nose tackles kind of weed themselves out or push themselves down because they're not super athletic, they're wide, they're good run stoppers, which we've talked about is important but just not nearly as important. As being a three technique or even a one technique that can rush the passer. Like, there have been guys, Vita Vea, Dexter Lawrence, that are nose tackles that can rush the passer. If they're good in that area, they're going to be graded higher. If they're just like a squatty nose tackle that can't ever get to the quarterback, they're just going to be lower. But breaking them up and maybe even slot receiver to receiver as well, like breaking those up into different positions um, and giving them different categories as well, because there's things that you have to do as a nickel corner that you don't necessarily, that might not be as high of a priority as an outside cornerback. So that's, you know, some of the tweaks that I'm thinking about instituting pretty soon here uh, for the 2021 draft class.
1: Bottom line, Chris, uh, you're a psycho. You put so much. It's been a lot of hours staring at Google Sheets. Right. Trying trying to get it as close as you possibly can. And I I respect that.
0: Yeah. It's really fun at the end, like looking at my big board and just going, where do I have everyone? I was like, oh, wow. I have. I have A.J. Brown as my number one wide receiver, like a top five pick. Like, and I, I try not to look at the big board because I have it plugged in where it just goes to another sheet. And later, like March, April, I look at it and I'm like kind of surprised by a lot of these. So I, I understand why readers or listeners are like, how do you have so-and-so, A.J. Brown, as your number one receiver or Cortland Sutton so high, just how the grades kind of worked out. All right, that'll do it today for the Prospect Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you're a Vikings fan, Purple Insider Podcast, Matthew Collar, daily content, very smart analysis. Subscribe, rate, review, all those adjectives, and do the same for the Prospect Podcast. For Matthew Collar, I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening.